0: Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all here. If you happen to have some kids who are in grades 1 through 5, they can all be dismissed to kids' worship. And for the rest of you, there should be a, uh, a program, a, a, an insert in your program that you can follow along with me as we uh, get into the teaching of God's Word. Uh, now, if uh, some of you, uh, since you've walked into the uh, auditorium this morning, have a certain song by Slim Shady in your head and you can't get it out of your head... I ain't judging you because I've already gotten a text from somebody asking if we were going to perform that today. Uh, we're not. That's not where we're going, but we're not judging you either. So it's okay. We're going in a little bit of different direction. We, we are starting this new series this morning called My Name Is, and that, uh, that is all based on a passage that comes out of just really one verse spoken by a prophet many, many years before the coming of Christ. And that, uh, that, that passage, as you can see in your notes, is found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 and I want to just read that as we get started today so if you would whoop, I have uh, the worship slides, so I don't need those yeah right sing it Dave yeah you do not want that there we go you do not want that even worse than me trying to freestyle would be me trying to sing right uh, Let's, let's read this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Again, it's found in your notes as well. So if you, could, if you want to follow along there, uh, you can check it out with me. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray today... That you, as we prepare our hearts over this month to to celebrate the incredible gift of God in the flesh, God incarnate, Jesus, God with us, that as we focus in on these words that were spoken many, many years before his birth and thousands of years ago, we pray, God, that you would just open our hearts up to receive this truth that comes from you that really is absolutely life-changing. We pray that you would help us, God, to not just be people who learn with our minds, but, Lord, that we would have our hearts moved, that we would have our wills changed, and that we would become different people, that we would recognize the, 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 the desire that you have for us to become new creations in Christ Jesus. We pray this, Lord, in his name, and all God's people said together, amen. Wonderful counselor is where we're headed today. That word that's translated in our English Bible, Bible's counselor, counselor is the, the Hebrew word ya'atz. And it means to advise, to counsel, to admonish or direct, to resolve, decide, plan, or purpose. It means to counsel together, to advise or to be advised. It, its first occurrence was found uh, in, in, in Exodus where Moses, when he was faced uh, with... Um, trying to deal with how to provide leadership for this entire group of people that he was trying to lead through the wilderness his uh, his father-in-law met with him to bring to him counsel to bring to him advice and when we hear the word counselor we kind of think of a warm office with some nice aromatherapy and a great listener and a comfy couch and a place where we can talk about things that are going on in our lives That's not exactly the same use of counselor as was seen in this particular word that's, uh, that's used in the Hebrew Bible. Instead, it's more about someone who would provide counsel, advice, For victory, that would, uh, and for military victories, for social and political victories among kings and and civic leaders. So it's 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 definitely got a connection. It's somewhat related, but it's not like a carbon copy. And so, when we think of counselor, uh, in the biblical usage of it, we're we're thinking of someone who has a who has an objective. Uh, for, for a, a particular uh, event or person. And so they're bringing a lot of expertise and they're bringing a lot of experience and they're bringing a lot of, of insight into how that person might gain victory. Again, whether it, w- it would have been a military victory, a political victory, some, some sort of economic victory. So again, certainly can see how we uh, kind of morph that into the counseling that we understand, but it wasn't necessarily uh, someone to whom people Came to receive that life advice. It was more like somebody who who provided that as a as a professional service to those who were kind of in the in the upper crust, in the elite uh, of society. So that's what it meant to when, when we use that word counselor in its in its Hebrew Bible usage and you notice that there's an adjective in front of it right it's wonderful it's the word pele and so some of you who are football or soccer fans will be interested to find this word you know some of you can remember pele who played back in the 70s for brazil and played even in the in the us and how what an amazing soccer player he was and it's kind of interesting when you when you see the word the Hebrew word pele it means it's a miracle a wonder wonder it's a wonderful thing or deed now it's interesting to note that other than a single time in the book of lamentations the 83 other occurrences always appear in the context of god's acts and words so in other words it's not a word that's often or nearly ever used to describe something that we do it's never something that's attributed to a human being uh, rarely if, again, only one of those 84 occurrences. And 37 of those 84 occurrences for, in the entire Hebrew Bible are found in the book of the Psalms. And it stands to reason that that's what would uh, take place, right? Because the book of the Psalms is filled with praise, adulation, worship, and prayers to God. And so this is the kind of counselor that, G- that, that, we're, that, that Isaiah is saying is coming on the scene as he refers to the birth of the son of god this is a wonderful counselor now one thing we know about our current society is there is no lack of people who are trying to tell you what you need to do right i mean if you want advice counsel if you want insight into any issue how many seconds does it take for you to find voluminous words about every topic that's ever been known to humanity, right? There was probably at one point in your Thanksgiving gathering this weekend that somebody said those famous words that we all know too well. Siri, please tell me about, or please find, or what is, or how do I, right? We have all sorts, and it's not just about like how to, how to roast the turkey or what's the best sweet potato casserole or all that kind of stuff. But there's all sorts of real life advice out there. I mean, it, we are besieged with opinions and not only opinions, but you know, you can find the polar opposites of everything. And you can read somebody's article about a given subject and you can be absolutely convinced that you totally agree with them. And then you read their opponent, and you can be absolutely convinced that you now totally agree with them. We're filled with people who are giving you the blah 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 blah. Right? How do you sort through all of that? Well, here's the thing: the part of the reason that God gave us Jesus was that He would be our amazing, miraculous, unmatched God inspired divine counselor so that i'm not saying we don't seek counsel from others i'm not saying we never search the web to find out some information i'm not saying we don't talk with each other about the issues that we're having in life but ultimately whose counsel do we need we need the counsel of the one whose counsel is unlike any other the wonderful counselor and that's what we want to talk about today We want to talk about how this gift of God impacts our life and how the person of Jesus does this. So I've got a few things listed there as I nearly every time say whenever I kind of do a little bit of a sermon that's a little bit more topical or thematic like this one is. And we oftentimes have a list of attributes or a list of features or a list of insights or suggestions. In no way is this list exhaustive. How is Jesus the wonderful counselor? What do I have? Six or seven things listed there. I could have put 67 things or 6,700 things. But we'll boil it down to this seven, and hopefully hopefully God will speak to your heart as we focus on Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And the first thing about that and him being our wonderful counselor is the type of counsel that Jesus provides is otherworldly. You see, he said this about himself. He said, This is true because I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has commanded me what I must say and speak. When Jesus came as the wonderful counselor, he didn't come and just exist as all of the other wise wise persons, the sagely people that existed in his culture. He didn't exist to have another opinion about life. He came bringing the counsel of heaven itself. He came bringing divine wisdom. Not just another opinion, but divine wisdom. It's otherworldly. In another passage, Jesus says in that same uh, same book of, of, of John, the gospel according to John, chapter 14. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me. Who is doing his work. God the Father speaking through Jesus. The wonderful counselor coming to bring otherworldly counsel. A counsel that's again unmatched unlike anything we ever received. And you see that word there that that Jesus uses both times in both of those passages. He talks about not having spoken on his own authority. And in John 14, he says, I do not speak on my own authority. But what he did speak, he spoke in in an authoritative way. And the people in his culture, as he interacted with them, they caught a whiff of that. They understood that. They're like, wait, this guy is different. Look at what they said. When when Jesus went into Capernaum and and he went and entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he began to teach, look what happens. The the people there, they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. In other words, not like everyone else. An otherworldly counsel that comes to them and they're like, wait a second. He doesn't sound like everyone else. He doesn't teach us like everyone else. You know, when I hear, Rabbi, this, say, that, or or, scribe, this, say, that, or this teacher, or this elder, this teacher of the law, you know, I just kind of come away from it thinking, well, yeah, that might be right. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I have to decide on my own. But when the wonderful counselor sprung on the scene, when Jesus, as a part of God's gift to us, came to us, when God in the flesh was among us, he brought that otherworldly counsel, and people were like, wait a second. This ain't the same thing here. This is unlike anything else I've ever heard. It's not like all the stuff that's out there. And again, go back to that image. It's not like all the blah, blah, blah. It's not like all the chatter that we hear from both sides, be it red or blue or progressive or fundamental or conservative. It's not all that stuff. It cuts through all that garbage and it says, this is what you need to hear. That's what the wonderful counselor does. And the people, they picked up on that. They're saying, man, this isn't like our scribes. This isn't like, this isn't like church normally was. This isn't like what we're used to. This guy, he speaks as one with authority. And, and it, this is the same uh, passage, is there's kind of the parallel passage of that is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 32, if you want to check it out in your own time, basically a repeat of this very same thing where the people in, in, in that passage, I think Luke uses the word there, they were amazed, like they were slack-jawed. They were like, what? Man, this is different. The wonderful counselor doesn't come to you and say, now, Bob, I've got something I'd like to share with you. And now, you can you can take it or leave it it's totally up to you it's not anything that i want you to think is super important uh, but it's just a suggestion the wonderful counselor doesn't come to us that way the wonderful counselor comes to us and says this is stuff that is absolutely critical for you to understand how life is to be lived and sometimes I know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get into the word and when I hear the words of Jesus, because I'm so conditioned to, I want to do what I want to do. I want to think what I want to think. I want to act the way I want to act. Sometimes it's difficult for me to receive the counsel of the wonderful counselor in a way where I receive it where it has authority over me. That's not oppressive. That's the irony of it. God isn't here to oppress us. He isn't here to bog us down with his way he's not here to hold us back from what we what he wants us to become instead he's here to empower us to become the people that he's always designed for us to be that's why the wonderful counselor comes to us and says this is stuff you need and a lot of the other stuff let it go away he taught as one with authority are you receiving it as such the wonderful counselor also, at times, offered very piercing counsel to people. <laughs> for instance, he said to one of his followers, one of his best friends, when that best friend didn't understand what God was going to do through Jesus, that best friend named Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from doing the very thing that he had been sent on earth to do, namely to die for the, for the sins and, and the separation that existed between God and humanity. When he tried to persuade Jesus that that wasn't the right thing for him to do, Jesus simply said to him, um, Get behind me, Satan. That's kind of piercing, wouldn't you say? Kind of gets right to the point. It's not often when I've said that to an individual when they've tried to dissuade me against what uh, I thought God wanted me to do. It's not too endearing as a pastor to refer people as the prince of darkness. I found that. I mean, I haven't learned a lot in my 25-odd years in ministry, but I have learned that people don't appreciate that. But Jesus, being the wonderful counselor, I'm not. He was able to offer those piercing words. He said, if you remember, some pretty harsh words to people like the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, and the elders. Woe to you. You are like Whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Again, not too endearing. Not too winsome. Piercing. And again, when when we really begin to engage with the person of Jesus and the wonderful, otherworldly, authoritative counsel that he brings into our life. How many of you know that the word of God is living and it's active and a sword? And as a sword, it oftentimes what? Pierces our soul. When Peter proclaimed the first message in the age of the church on the day of Pentecost, what what did the writer of Acts, Luke, say about the response of the people who heard that first talk? Their hearts were pierced. Because he brought the wonderful counselor. He brought to them Jesus. But at the same time that he's piercing, this is the amazing thing about Jesus, he's also very gentle. He's not here to crush us. He's here to crush our self-righteousness. He's here to crush our rebellion. But he's not here to crush our person. He says about himself, uh, the mantle that he wants to offer to us is is gentle, right? We will find rest for our souls if we embrace the counsel of the wonderful one because it is gentle. I think oftentimes about this passage that we find in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we find the story of uh, A woman who literally had been caught in the act of adultery. Very graphic, I understand that. When Jesus got on the scene, verse 3 of chapter 8, John writes, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. They were going to do it the same old way. right? They were going to bring her in, public shaming, humiliation, And ultimately, death. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, they said to Jesus. After they told him that she had been caught in adultery. Now what do you say? Wonderful counselors right there on the scene, right? This is a pretty critical moment in the life of Jesus. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Those piercing words to those elders and teachers of the law caused the verse 9 to occur. It says, At this time, those who began to go away, those who, who heard what he said, that is, began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. They're like, oh, man, kind of got us there. The young guys hung on a little bit longer until only Jesus was left, the Scripture says, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one thrown that first rock? That rose stones of execution, which is what the law called for. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. Go now and leave your life of sin. Truthful, honest, didn't wink or ignore her sin, the, th- the sin that she was in, but instead he offered her. The gentle touch of mercy and forgiveness. How many of you have received that touch from Jesus? The gentle touch of his grace. Not condemnation. Because what do we know from scripture? The son didn't come to the world to condemn the world. But he came to save the world. Piercing, yes. Gentle, yes. Another way to think of it is this wonderful counselor is inviting What did he say to people? Come. Follow me. But at the same time that he wanted them to be with him, to be present in his life and him present in their life. And that's what that wonderful he wants to he's not here to just tell you things that you need to do, but he's here to be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. The wonderful counselor says, "Come, be with me. Come, follow me," he said. To his first disciples but he had a mission for their life too it wasn't only inviting it also was challenging them towards something uh, to see themselves in a way they never saw themselves come follow me and i'll show you how to fish for people i'm going to mess with your world i'm going to take you from these tradesmen and zealots and tax collectors and, uh, and, and people who are kind of on the fringe of society. I'm going to take you from what you are. Just come be with you, but I've got an agenda for your life too. I'm inviting you in to be with me, but I'm also challenging you towards something. That's what the wonderful counselor does. He's always there with us. He's inviting us to come be with him. But at the same time, he's challenging us toward a life that we wouldn't embrace if he didn't challenge us with it. That's what, in fact, the, 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 the crux of the matter was when Jesus called the first disciples to himself, and, and, or first called out of his disciples the first apostles to himself. In, in the passage we find in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those who he wanted, and they came to him. Verse 14 says, again, Mark 3, he appointed 12, designating them apostles. And check this out, you've heard me refer to this before. That they might be with him, with him, inviting, present, relationship. That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Inviting and challenging. Come be with me. Come do life together. But also... I'm going to send you out with authority to preach my word and to cast out demons. That's the wonderful counselor. That's what his, his followers experienced when they, became, when they went into that level of relationship with him. And he was inviting them in and challenging them out. The wonderful counselor also is a person of truth. Very simply, he said in John 14:6, I am the truth. Jesus speaks truth because that's his identity. He can't speak untruth because he is truth. He exists as the truth, not a truth, not one of many truths, but he exists as when it all boils down to what is truth, it's the person of Jesus. It's our wonderful counselor. And so when he comes to you, that's why it's not optional. That's why it has, it has authority. That's why we should see it as, as something that would shape our lives. Whether it pierces us or it's gentle with us, Jesus is the wonderful counselor who is the counselor of truth. About him, John, John wrote this, the word, the logos, which is referring to Jesus. The word became a human being and lived here with us. We saw his true glory, the glory of the only son of the father. From him, all the kindness and all the truth of God have come down to us. Truth in the flesh. That's who our wonderful counselor is. Our wonderful counselor is also one who is life-giving. Not only did he say he was truth, but in that same verse, John 14, 6, he says, I am the life. Wonderful representation of this is found in John chapter four, where Jesus acts interacts with a uh, with a different woman, another woman who was on the fringe of society, a Samaritan woman. And in John four, the story is told by of John that Jesus had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town, verse five of John four, a town in Samaria named Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus. Tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came, that's be kind of the, uh, the, the the afternoon where Jesus is there, and it's of course warm. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Sorry, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman." How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They were kind of mortal enemies of each other. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, life-giving water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she said to him, sir, give me this water. Life-giving water, life-giving counsel, life-changing counsel. The counsel that the wonderful counselor provides for us drastically and dramatically reverses the course of of our journey toward the destination of its end. We are radically morphed into new people Incredibly different than who we were before because the counselor who brings that inviting, challenging, piercing, gentle, truthful, honest counsel into our life, it changes us. We can't be the same. We can't come in contact with the wonderful counselor and walk away different unless we reject what he has for us. So I pray that each of our responses would be like that Samaritan woman. Wonderful counselor. Give me that water. Give me that life changing, life giving water. That water, that counsel, that which comes from the wonderful counselor. When you think about all the factors that we've we've already addressed, and again, there could be many more. The last thing I'll suggest to you is the wonderful counselor brings something that is infinite, that is eternal, that never fades. Jesus says, heaven and earth pat will pass away, but my words, the words of the wonderful counselor, they will by no means, by no means pass away. They abide forever. They are here for all eternity and that's why this reality of the those first followers of jesus they understood that they understood the 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 significance of receiving the counsel from the wonderful counselor and so one of those first followers peter wrote in the first letter that he wrote as the scriptures say people are like grass their beauty is like a flower in the field the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the lord remains forever and that word the word of the Lord, the word of the wonderful counselor, that word is the good news that was preached to you. That word lasts forever. That word is infinite. That word is eternal. That word abides. The word of the wonderful counselor. And so when you think about, again, all of the words, oh my goodness, think about the mega gazillions of volumes of words that we have offering us counsel and advice and wisdom for everything under the sun, it will all pass away. It doesn't abide. But the one thing that abides is the word of the wonderful counselor. That piercing, gentle, inviting, challenging, truthful, honest, Otherworldly, divine word of the wonderful counselor. That's why it has authority. And Jesus says, sends with us today. And he offers us the same water that he offered that woman thousands of years ago. Life-giving water. The water of eternal life is your response like her, sir, give me that water. That passage that I read earlier, I want to repeat because I think it kind of sums up all that we spoke about today to a certain degree. The Word, the wonderful counselor, he became a human being. He lived here with us. And we saw his true glory, this otherworldly thing, the glory of the only Son of the Father, And from him, this wonderful counselor, all the kindness and all the truth of God have come down to us. He is our wonderful counselor. Are you living under the authority? Have you received that counsel with an open heart, willing to reverse the course of your life? of what he's brought to you. That's what he's speaking to us today through what he says about himself and what scripture says about him. He is Ya'atz Pele our wonderful counselor. Father God we thank you for the gift of Jesus. You inspired Isaiah to write and call him this name. This name, wonderful counselor. And Lord, we've tried to get our minds a little bit around that in the last half hour or so. And I pray that as we have our hearts would have been moved. And we would we would receive it humbly and with submission a submissive obedient heart. We pray God that these words wouldn't be just something that would cause us to be able to say that we know a little bit more about this term that was used by Isaiah many many years ago. But instead that it really would change our life. That we would lean into being followers of the one who is the wonderful counselor. It's in his name we pray. Amen.